Hello and welcome to the cul-de-sac, an amalgamation of ideas and synaptic connections from our brains to yours. On this episode, I am joined by Nick Hinton, a philosopher-poet who propagates weapons of mass instruction through his words and ideas, which he disseminates across Twitter and in his books. I first stumbled upon his musings on synchronicities, the paranormal, occult magic, portals to other worlds, higher dimensional beings, and his personal experience with high strangeness through his Twitter threads. There's something for everybody. A time cube, or some sort of advanced quantum computer, the proverbial black box, which he thinks may be situated on Saturn's north pole within a hexagonal storm, generating a simulation within which we all reside. To documenting synchronicities, synchronicities rather, that hint at the coming, or perhaps already here, age of Aquarius, which will be characterized by rising sea levels, the return of the divine feminine within our culture, and a chance at revolutionary change. His books, The Saturn Time Cube Simulation, and its sequel, The Aquarian Singularity, have an effect, at least for me, of a low dose of psilocybin. Reading them opens up a portal within my mind, transforming normal baseline understanding of the world which we share into something a bit more. If you're a fan of his Twitter threads, I highly recommend diving into his books. He masterfully untangles and connects the dots between countless synchronistic events, symbols, memes, philosophical queries, and mixes in his own experience with the paranormal. Conspiracy theorists get a bad rap in our culture. Many consider them to be grifters or borderline insane people. I don't really think Nick is a conspiracy theorist. He's something else. If you read his writing, you get a sense that he's a true believer who also values skepticism, especially of himself and the world around him. We've all been feeling weird since the beginning of this global pandemic, and Nick's ideas and writings offer a narrative of why that may be with a healthy dose of humor, skepticism, and whimsy. His books are available in digital and print formats at nickhinton.com or directly through his social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. The links to all of these places are in the episode notes. Here's our conversation. So, what's happening, Nick Hinton? How are you? Doing good, how are you? Not bad. I really appreciate you being here, as I was saying. Um, dude, I found your work on Twitter originally. Mm-hmm. Read both your books. Um, deeply, deeply obsessed with some of the stuff. I, mean, <laughs> it was, I think I was like, uh, before like reading your stuff, I think most of the stuff I was looking at, like in the realm of, I guess, for lack of a better term, conspiracy theories and stuff, is like, I mean, it was stuff from like Terrence McKenna yeah. and like Alan Watts and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, your work uh, immediately just, I mean, you come from that vein, it would seem like, you know, like of um, combining just all sorts of different pieces. And I think your your use of like your own personal narrative too in the work mm-hmm. is just like, it makes it so rich. And uh, it's like a journey every time we p- I pick up one of your <laughs> Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. But uh, yeah, no, definitely some of my biggest inspirations are like, Carl Jung and Terrence McKenna and Alan Watts and Ram Dass and all those kinds of people, especially Robert Anton Wilson. Yeah, yeah, I've seen you reference him a lot. I got to pick up the Cosmic Trigger. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great book. Out. Are you familiar with this uh, 
this dude, this PhD dude, Eric Davis, who, who wrote a book called High Weirdness. I haven't read it yet, but... Um, I've heard his name, and, and he, I, I have heard of that book, but I haven't read it or looked too much into any of his stuff. Word. Yeah, me neither. So it's maybe a weird topic to bring up, but um, um, the, the sort of uh, vein I know through that book is that is that these three people, Philip K. Dick, Terrence McKenna, Robert Anton Wilson, were all sort of creating these spiritual narratives in yeah. the 1970s. Yeah, especially, yeah, I just recently got back into Philip K. Dick. Um, I'm not going to act like a expert on his uh, material because I haven't really read anything. I've just mostly read like his uh, exegesis, like uh, portions of that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Philip K. Dick and Robert Anton Wilson, I feel like we're both writing um, like true, so like their fictional stories were true. They were based on things that were happening to them, but they just put it into a fictional narrative to make it more palatable to people. But th some of the stuff they were writing about, they really believed was real. Like Robert, or uh, Philip K. Dick wrote that book, Vallis, which was about like a, mm -hmm. like a satellite system that was like an alien satellite system that um, communicated secret knowledge to people through symbols and and all sorts of weird stuff. And he really believed that Vallis was a real being. He just didn't straight up say that until until he published mm -hmm. his exegesis. Got it. Yeah, I, I'm like kind of familiar with that narrative of, of, and that work. Um, I had heard on a, another podcast that you had done that um, you had started off, um, like at least before you kind of got into writing about these topics, you had always wanted to be like an artist. Yeah, definitely. I always wanted to be like, a musical artist. I always wanted to be like a musician. And uh -huh. then okay. at one point, just because I realized that, okay, you don't play guitar, you don't sing, you don't do anything. So how are you going to be a musician? So I, at one point I just started writing poetry and that's like how I really got into writing. So I was, I was already reading like all, I don't know, a bunch of different poets. And that's kind of like what got me into the realm of all the spiritual talk, like all the people like Henry Miller and Alan Watts and people like that, because they're kind of writing poetry in a way. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, totally. their writing inspired me to write about, you know, deeper things. And um, I was just always obsessed with conspiracies. Like I was just looking at that stuff on the side. That was kind of like a hobby. And what I, re what I really wanted to do was just create art. Like I was, uh, I was always in like advanced art classes and stuff and getting into competitions. Like I was a good drawer, but yeah, I think writing and singing and making music and poetry that's like my favorite type of stuff to create but i also um when i was really little my first dream <laughs> was to be like a film director i was obsessed with steven spielberg and me and my dad would like run around with a camera and just record dumb stuff when i was like four years old but uh that's that, that's that's something i still want to do too is like i want to take some of these uh theories and kind of do what philip k dick did like you know make a fictional you know, quote unquote fictional uh, narrative that I can put into a film. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, dude, that would be sick. And um, I mean, it's like bring up film. Well, for, I think that would be great when you do that, by the way. I just want to say that. And oh, thank also, you. Um, the idea, like, I think artists in general um, do like do these like this is what artists do. They like they, they get filled with material from the outside world, thoughts, ideas and stuff like that. And then they transcribe it into film right or, or art in general and it's like a lot of artists i think talk about that kind of stuff at least yeah, like they're following their intuition right and they're no. building up okay go ahead i was just gonna say no you're you're right they really do like i think a lot of artists are all talking about the same type of thing they just do it in like veiled ways 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's like, it's almost like, um, like the practice of making art is like, you know, it's a way of revealing. You tweeted about the labyrinth today, so it's on oh, my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, it's sort yeah. of like, you know, like, you're, you're, it's like, I find with my art practice, at least, it's like, it reveals a sort of labyrinth that I'm going through. Like, you, you look back on the artwork, and I don't know if you look back on the work that you create, and it, like, teaches you something, like, yeah. with hindsight. yeah. And um, I don't know, that's one of the powerful things. I, that's why I think, like, everybody should have an art practice of right. some kind. That's like, it's like documenting your thoughts mm-hmm. and just looking back on them. I'll, I'll definitely, like, go back and read through old poetry or old music or even, like, um, old drawings I've done and see stuff that has happened in my life now. So, like, the, the lyrics become more relevant or, like, the drawing becomes more relevant, the symbolism in it. Because, like... I do believe that when artists are in the flow state that they're reaching into, they're tapping into some sort of source that's like beyond time. And, you know, they're pulling, pulling out information that they don't even really understand in the moment. And, but yeah, so I used to do, um, before all this craziness started happening to me, like getting on podcasts and interviews and stuff, I was really trying hard to manifest the situation. And one of the, one of the ways I wanted or one of the ways I tried to do it, I guess, I was just trying like literally every single method, like visualization, affirmations, um, like the different meditation techniques taught in uh, becoming supernatural or even like Wim Hof breathe, deep breathing. Mm-hmm. I, I was doing everything. And, but one of the things I tried was uh, active imagination, Carl Jung's uh, method of just like reaching into the subconscious and trying to integrate uh, your shadow basically. And yeah, so, yeah. so some of the stuff I drew has become extremely relevant. Like, um, I can't even really describe it or go into it because it's only relevant in a certain context. Like I was showing, uh, I went on a trip to Florida to go meet this girl that basically we saw UFOs together and all this stuff and we're doing some weird research together. But um, one of the drawings I had was about a conversation we were having and I was just happened to be scrolling through them. And I was like, dude, look at this. And it was was just really weird. So yeah, I think that in hindsight, you know, the synchronicities or your art is not always meaningful in that moment. It becomes more meaningful later on sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Outside of time, like you say, like that's a really good uh, way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you you are always writing about how weird shit happens to you, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Which it seems like, uh, I mean, do you, do you think that I, has it has it been that way your whole life or did it occur like did are these things synchronicities and things are, are they occurring more and more as you get deeper into these rabbit holes and things like that yeah it was always kind of happening um mm-hmm. it was always happening a little bit it would probably be like one cool massive synchronicity like every few months and mm-hmm. and i knew something was going on but also i wasn't fully believing it because you know after time passes you're like yeah whatever it becomes less like uh, less potent as time goes on, like, you know, you just kind of forget. And I wasn't full of belief about it, you know, because I was kind of skeptical still. I was like, you know, it still could be a coincidence. But yeah, mm-hmm. literally within the last few months, um, as soon as I visited the Bledsoe family, the synchronicities picked up like crazy. Now I'm mm-hmm. seeing lights in the sky and... Uh, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, and I'm, it's just, yeah, it got really, really intense lately. And it's... I kind of asked for it, so it's it's overwhelming sometimes, but also at the same time, I'd rather life be this interesting than not, because at one point, I was so bored, I was just praying to God, I was like, dude, give me something to do, <laughs> you know? like Yeah, yeah. 
Sounds like uh, sounds like whoever's up there is taking the message <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, I want. I wonder. I like. I want to ask you about the Bledsoe family, but I don't know enough really about them. And I also feel like you'll reveal that in time. So I think I'd well, wait. But well, you know, um, go ahead. In the simplest way to put it is, in 2012, Chris's or uh, Ryan's dad, Chris Bledsoe, he saw. Um, some lights and uh, I guess an apparition or a physical manifestation of this woman floating off the ground who called herself the lady and she was basically a representation of the mother goddess or the divine feminine and she said that the age of Aquarius was coming and that the only answer is love and stuff like that Um, that's like the footnotes version but Right after hearing about the story and becoming friends with Ryan, I went down to go see the stuff for myself, and ever since then, it hasn't stopped following me around. Word. Well, I hope it's uh like like chill, you know, <laughs> like not some like nef- like like we say, it's like it's like about love. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do. I know. am. I am still skeptical of it because you know, like I don't know, even you know, uh, like a. Just because they, they're preaching love doesn't mean, it, it can be deceptive, but you know, I'm just kind of following the breadcrumbs and seeing where it takes me, I, but I still remain skeptical of everything. I don't fully buy anything. And I learned, yeah, I learned yeah. that from Robert Anton Wilson, who's, you know, like I said, my favorite philosopher ever. Word, yeah. Yeah, keep it, he keeps it, uh, keeps it at arm's length in a way. Mm-hmm. Or, and he's like, yeah. That thing he wrote about his, like his left brain like his right left brain hemisphere talking to his right brain hemisphere and sort of like tricking himself i think a lot of our like when i get into mojo i'm like oh that's a synchronicity or that's something like my first immediate skeptical thought is like yes my brain is a pattern recognition system yes exactly and trying to just you know put together pieces and i mean after reading your work and like like living with it for a long time it's like obvious i'm like seeing more synchronicities and i'm like okay like, is, <laughs> this is a pattern or right. is this like am i like catching your jet stream you right know, yeah something like that i don't know but yeah the, interesting. the most important thing that i have been trying to emphasize lately because i see people getting like lost in the sauce i guess like thinking every single thing is a conspiracy or every single thing's a synchronicity or mm-hmm. you know things are only meaningful because the brain is a meaning-making machine. You are the conceptualizer. You can make anything mm-hmm. mean whatever you want. But, and, that, and that's how a lot of synchronicities are, in my opinion, like especially angel numbers. I, I, like, I don't even pay attention to those anymore. It's like, yes, my brain has a cognitive bias towards seeing 333. Like, I'm going, to, yeah. I'm going to see it more or it's going to be more important when I see it. If I see 436, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to that. It's not going to seem meaningful. Right. But there definitely are some things that happen where it's like, okay, that <laughs> almost seemingly objectively has a meaning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I get that same feeling too when, I, when like a Mandela effect a thing occurs. Like today, I, I just realized today that it's not Luke, I'm your father. It's like, no, I'm your father. No. Yeah. It's like, yep. wait, it, you, it's just so confusing when that happens. You're like really sh- just shocked. Yeah. I think I, the same, yeah. And you see synchronicities too it's the same feeling yeah no the mandela effect definitely messed me up uh like the first time i had a major one like the fruit of the loom logo and chick-fil-a for some reason those were the two most groundbreaking ones to me because i remember driving to work all the time passing chick like i have this memory passing chick-fil-a 
and always complaining in my head, being like, why the, why the hell do you spell it that way? Why is it C-H-I-C? I hate that. It doesn't look cool. It looks dumb. They need to spell it the right way. And I would always complain about it in my head every time I passed Chick-fil-A. And now it's C-H-I-C-K. And I'm like, okay, I know for, not for a fact, but I know it wasn't that way. I mean, I have the memories of me going to work all the time, you know? <laughs> Wait, yeah. Yeah. I totally feel, I, I can corroborate that because I, the first time I ever ate Chick-fil-A was in St. Louis during a tornado. We were in a mall and like the like they shut down the whole mall and so we were all stuck in there and we were just looking at Chick-fil-A and it was, dude, it had to be with it. just, there was no K. Yeah. I cannot believe there was a K. Like, wow, I didn't even realize there is a K now. Yeah, you need to look That's that one up. It's, it's, it's really weird to look at. The feeling you get, it's almost like, uh, it, like, you feel like you disassociate for a second when you when you have like yeah. a major Mandela effect. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I've been um, I do I do psychedelics like light, mm -hmm. lightly, like I'm dipping my toes in. But you get it's that when the trip is beginning, it's that same feeling you get when you're like oh like shocked that something has changed or like you know like your brain starts making it's like it's your brain it's the same I don't know it's a feeling it's like a physical feeling of like your brain working hard or something to yeah. like make meaning or like course correct or something like that yeah i, 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 I feel like came it, to mind. it kind of feels like when you're looking over like a really high up ledge when you're looking over it and you know that you could fall and you become kind of like lightheaded mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the yeah. that's the feeling i get yeah i can agree yeah dude so um there's this line that i think is towards the end of the aquarian singularity book Mm -hmm. where you uh, sort of in your outro kind of write that I, it was either the book itself or the short story was sort of chapel perilous for yeah. you yeah and that phrase just for the listeners uh, I'm gonna say it real quick I have a little note here I like it a lot the chapel perilous is a term referring to a psychological state in which an individual is uncertain whether some course of events was affected by supernatural force or is a product of their own imagination <laughs> which is kind of what we were just talking about yep, in a way. Yep. And, um, you know, Robert Wilson, or yeah, Robert Anton Wilson, you know, he, he used that phrase. It came from like some old Sir Thomas Mallory in the 1400s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about your Chapel Perilous uh, and what, like, how your artistic practice, like, what, explain? <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, writing the book, um, it, it was fairly easy going until the very end when I had to do the conclusion and, you know, go through editing too. But um, as I was finishing up, you know, there was only a few chapters left and I could not fucking finish it. I just could not. I don't know why. I'd wake up every day and I knew what I needed to do, but I could not make myself do it. And if I didn't write, I would get really anxious and I wouldn't be able to do anything. It was just like analysis paralysis. I mean, it was just, it was basically procrastination, but to like such a degree that it made me like paranoid. And I was, you know, all the theories that I had written about were stirring in my head and it made me scared of the world in a way, you know, like, like I say in the book, like the world that sometimes or at times felt really big and really quiet. Like I felt super alone and like maybe I was being watched. And there was other times where it felt like overwhelmingly small and loud and just like intense. And yeah, just like, I don't know, I, I, reading over those theories a hundred times over, like really put me in a weird headspace to where, yeah. to where I didn't know if I stopped believing myself at a certain point too. I was like, none of this, 
you know, I would go back and forth. I was like, all of this is too insane. None of this makes sense. People are going to think you're schizophrenic. Uh, like, I don't know if I should even put this out anymore. I feel like this is dangerous ideas <laughs> and it can make someone crazy. And yeah, but I just had to power through it. Like after listening to Robert Anton Wilson a lot, I was like, okay, this, I mean, and also I just thought, you know, I'm already almost there. Why would you, you know, it only made sense. You know, I felt like I had a, like a, like kind of a destiny to finish it. And I was like, okay, well, this is the next right thing to do. Put one foot in front of the other. The only thing that makes sense right now, what's the next most logical thing is just finish the book. So I, every day I would do as much as I could until my brain would hurt. And then eventually it freaking got done. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. That's the move. I mean, I think that's what a lot of, uh, you know, artists go through all the time with their work, especially work that is super, um, personal and intense. Um, you know, you, you reach these points where it's like, you're tearing your soul in half or something or like, yeah. yeah or like, I mean, with these theories that you write about, I just have to imagine the paranoia. I mean, I get paranoid when I read your books. I have to like, I have to take a moment. To, yeah. Uh, that's, that's legitimately to, to chill why, out. that's legitimately why I put a warning at the beginning. Word. Yeah. Yeah. I sent it to a friend and he was laughing about the warning and I'm like, just read it. You will see. Yeah. 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 It's crazy, man. Um, all right, sort of shifting here to. Um... But I guess I'll just add. Oh, yeah, real, yeah, I'll yeah, add real ahead. quick that um, I'm not saying that I'm at this point yet. I think I actually, I think I was wrong about the end of the book. I think I'm actually entering Chapel Para Perilous right now. To be honest, now that the book's done, mm -hmm. I think I'm actually entering it right now with all the UFOs and the, the weird stuff I've been experiencing lately. But Dude, yeah, labyr labyrinths all the way down. Probably, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, but um, I just wanted to leave off. Uh, saying how Robert Anton Wilson said that if you finally make it out, you know, pe many people don't make it out, they end up going crazy. But if you do make it out, you become enlightened and you have like this uh, mystical agnostic mindset. And that's what I'm trying to get to. And I, I just love that so much. And I think that's the most mm -hmm. important part to understand about Chapel Perilous is if you're going through that weird stage of quote unquote enlightenment or you know, expanding your consciousness and you're starting to experience synchronicities all the time and you don't know what's real or what's supernatural or what's your own mind, you know, that's the most important part is to keep a level head and be skeptical of everything, including yourself. And if you can get mm -hmm. through that stage, then I think that's where enlightenment is. Yeah, I, I'm curious, what is, what is like, what would mystical agnosticism mean to you or like enlightenment? Like, what does that look like? Well, mystical agnosticism to me is you don't believe in any model of reality, but you're able to entertain all of them. So like, I don't mm -hmm. believe, I don't believe the world's flat, but I can entertain that. I can entertain that for a second. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't believe I'm actually seeing aliens, but I can entertain, well, I kind of do, but <laughs> I can, <enter> <laughs> yeah. I can, I can entertain the model that it's also might be a weird airplane. You know what I mean? So you can entertain mm -hmm. more than one model at once and you can pick whichever model is useful to you at the time. Like there's a model of the universe where you're successful or there's a model of the universe where you're you know, pathetic. Which one are you going to choose? Or, Which one are you going to use? So yeah, that makes sense. I, actually, you are you familiar with psychic nomadism? It's like no, another I'm not. term. I, I, could, I think it's pretty similar to what you're describing. It's it's a it's just a it's like an idea that um, like could, a person who's interested in philosophy would sort of be nomadic in yeah, their yeah. philosophy and they're just kind of traveling from, through different philosophies. Yeah, sampling things, putting them together, which I mean, I mean, every time I read your books, I'm like, this is what Nick Hinton does. It's like sampling. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's actually interesting that you say you wanted to be a musician early on. 
and I wonder if you're still making music, but like that, you seem to sample a lot in your writing. You know, you're like, you're like picking out existing facts. I guess a lot of journalists probably do this or documentarians in general, like you're picking out actual world facts and then well, putting of, them into your work. Yeah, a lot of the quotes I use, I'd probably sample in music. I mean, I still write uh, poetry slash lyrics sometimes, but not as much as mm -hmm. I'm doing the articles and stuff lately. I mean, I, I would like to do music in the future, but I mean, um, like kind of just going with the flow, like whatever's meant to happen, whatever has the, whatever the path of least resistance is right now, I feel like is what I'm supposed to do. So until, mm -hmm. until I have those, like at, there, there was a point where it was easy for me to make music. I was friends with all musicians. I was at studios all the time. My friends wanted to collaborate with me. And that was when it was the path of least resistance to make music right now. It makes more sense for me to keep writing and, you know, do it, you know, keep doing that. So, but in the future, I would definitely love to go back to music. Mm -hmm. So besides the podcast that you've sort of started now, are, are, um, are you working on a, a new text or like what's the path of least resistance looking like now? Yeah, I think I'm doing a third book and also going to continue doing that podcast. Cool. Yeah, it's a great pod, man. It's Thank you, man. The last episode again was a trip, man. It brought <laughs> me, I was starting to looking up Michael Quinn uh -huh. and then found this video of him sitting in like a hospital bed. Yeah. Just like talking about Tyler. Have you have you seen that video? Yeah, yeah, that video is really interesting. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like another is another one of those moments where I was like, what? He's like, it's a it's like, I don't know, it was a 2017 video and he's talking about QAnon and like such a I, I didn't realize, I guess, I didn't know how like how deep QAnon was in the early 26, oh yeah yeah 2017s i guess it was probably like everywhere yeah i don't know it was just another confusing thing where it's like this guy seems to know a lot and he's in a hospital bed and like what happened to him it's like <laughs> it's one of those uh weird internet videos it's like there's a lot of context that i don't know about yeah right, right i now. have my theory about QAnon is that i think it got overrun by people just kind of larping but yeah. at one, I think it honestly began with AI, and I think like AIs are kind of loose in the world, and they're playing games with people. And I think mm -hmm. they're they're creating these rabbit holes for people to fall down, and literally putting them in an alternate reality game. Like, word. Like, yeah, I, you're not AI, are you? No. <laughs> at least okay. I don't think. At least I don't think so. I'm <laughs> yeah, not sure. <laughs> I mean, after that labyrinth oh. thing, the labyrinth tweet you were talking about, I kind of. I have this theory that we're all kind of like the rob robots on uh, Westworld, where we're, oh, yeah. we're just trapped yeah. in that labyrinth and we're trying to reach sentience. Mm -hmm. Dude, yeah. I mean, also just like I, it, yeah, I feel like that would probably like fall into some Eastern tradition that I don't know anything about too. Like, I, like there has to be a correlation in some spirituality of of like going through trials and tribulations to like reach the next phase. Right. Something. I'm yeah, I mean, there, there's a, I, don't know about. I found some cave drawings that look really similar to that Westworld maze or labyrinth. Oh, word. Mm -hmm. Weird. Another like, I wonder if that's like the fact that two artists worked on these things and like pulled, pulled this symbol out of time or if it's something more. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I have to look into it more. I just started uh, thinking about this idea recently. Yeah. Yeah, ancient art, I, I find it like hard to find like images that I'm like, oh yeah, this is probably like legit. Like like ancient art on YouTube, I'm always like, or on, on, on Google Images or whatever, any, any internet site, I'm like, I can't tell if this is like, if this is like a legit source or if this has been photoshopped. When you're looking for ancient so sources and things, yeah, are you going through like libraries or I don't know, is there, what's the trick, man? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, 
I don't really have a trick. I'm kind of just looking at whatever whatever crosses my path. You know, sometimes a lot of the stuff I read or find comes across synchronistically and like people are sending me stuff. Um, yeah. But like we really, at this point, we really don't know what's real or not. I mean, there's so many people talking about these like videos on the news that are like CGI and right, you know, right. there's, you know, you can Photoshop almost any image. So mm. I think that just goes into, I think the whole world is kind of entering Chapel Perilous right now. I mean, no one knows, oh, yeah. no one knows what the hell's real, what the hell is real anymore. And that's dangerous, but it can also be really good because I think it's going to force people to go within eventually. And the, mm -hmm. whole, the whole point is that nothing outside of us, outside of your skull is real. And, you know, it is real. It's, mm -hmm. it's better to treat it as if it's real. I mean, you need to pay your bills. You need to, you can't pretend that traffic is not real because, you know, that's not going to be good. But, <laughs> right. but in a sense, I mean, in a, in a scientific sense, it's not real. It's, and it's 99 all atoms are made of 99.99% empty space are we see less than 1% of the light spectrum i believe and um yeah everything yeah. everything we're experiencing is just sensory data coming into our five senses and being constructed into a model and right in our heads yeah complete, like yeah completely divorced from everyone else too or yeah. so we think i'm not you know we're not really sure and that's why yeah. you, that's why you can't be like in love with one model and ignore all the others because they're all equally mm -hmm. true you're gonna find evidence for whatever model you believe in your brain that's just how your brain works um like yeah robert anton wilson said whatever the thinker thinks the prover will prove and that's the left brain and the right brain mm -hmm. i think well there's like a big i mean I, there's a conversation around postmodernism, right and i think that's what a lot of those postmodernist philosophers kind of were talking about like we're, we're, we're like there's no truth anymore there's no truth at all right and I, I i go back and forth about like is there truth but what we're specifically talking about is like how our brains construct our realities in yeah. our skull they're like a camera obscura which i think you write about yeah and and um it's uh i think i think it's strange how like that's not top of mind for like everybody <laughs> you know right like, right like we all give each other such grief when someone else isn't like living up to your reality exactly but yeah. like we're all literally just constructing reality in our like ape ape brains right right <laughs> um yeah the postmodern stuff is super interesting and yeah i i flip-flop back and forth too it's like i don't I, there i feel like there's got to be an objective truth because if you don't believe anything's true like then then there's no morality and where does morality come from? So that means there has to be some sort of objective truth out there that tells us what's good and what's bad. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I think if there is any objective truth, it's the archetypes. I think everything kind of relates to the um, 22 archetypes that the law of one describes, or like the tarot, okay. the 22 major arcana of the tarot. I think those are like, I think that's the closest thing we can get to objectively true. But other than that, everything's just rearrangements of those like themes but they can appear in many different masks that's really interesting i'm gonna have to look into those more closely i haven't i haven't like cracked the nut on tarot yet i'm like i know that it'll be powerful once i right. finally do it it probably seems super dope um all right so i was wondering about um i, I read i get i've read in your book i think that you were um mentored or at least had some sort of connection with with joseph metheny metheny yeah the Onk, yeah metheny who did the onks hat thing mm -hmm. and just so people know that the onks hat 
was I'm gonna probably I'll try to explain. It was like uh, an early internet-based game. It was like an I was like one of the first AR ARGs, alternate reality games. Yeah. And um, I mean, the plot of it is like so so funny. I mean, it's like whoa, this is <laughs> this. How did they know about this in the '90s? I guess they knew about quantum physics in the '90s. It's obvious, yeah. right? Yeah. I guess. But it's like he. Um, he seems really dope. I wonder what your relationship with him was, or um, you know, what sort of yeah. So he, you're comfortable he, talking about. He was actually mentored by uh, Robert Anton Wilson and William S. Burroughs. Oh, word. And um, yeah, so being kind of Discordian, he was really into postmodernism and chaos magic and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he created the first alternate reality game where he essentially wrote a narrative that was written in such a way that it was it was fictitious but it was portrayed as true and it was kind of like a trickster type thing to do to people where people reading these online articles were like holy crap there's really a portal in new jersey <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah so there the, people thought there was really an interdimensional portal in new jersey and this all over the country and uh just to see this place and they were experiencing really weird high strangeness and synchronicities and actually I think it was the Navy that reached out to Joseph Matheny and asked him like how are you creating synchronicities just through like storytelling like how are you doing this and I I didn't listen to that podcast too much but yeah me and Joseph when I worked on um, the Randonauts project I was Mm -hmm. me and uh, comrade or Joshua Langfelder we would get on the phone with him like once a month every month for I think like six months we were in, uh, we were in contact all the time but once I left Randonauts I kind of stopped talking to him as much but I still will like text him here and there for sure cool sweet I think would you ever be do you consider your work a, an ARG or like do you think that it, do you think it has like those tropes embedded in it kind of in a way I, I honestly think like this is getting a little bit out there but I honestly think life is an ARG <laughs> Like, that's where I was going with this. Yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those, that, those, uh, are, th- those models that we entertain. Those are all ARGs. They're all rap. They're all alternate realities. They're all different rabbit holes to go down. They're all parallel universes. You can play whatever game you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically. I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, how am I going to talk about this? But mm-hmm. yeah, like um, everything can be a game. I mean, everything. Like, yeah, it's all. It, I was trying to like think about like what what actually creates meaning in life. And I mean, it's just like completing goals, yeah, you playing know, getting, games. getting along, playing games. Yeah. And then so there's this um, there's this book called Infinite Games for, or, or, uh, or I guess it's more of an idea. There's a book. I forget the book right now, but it's um, in- Infinite Games versus Finite Games. Huh. And like the goal is to create like, you know, like you'd want to play a game for forever. You like never want a good game to end. Right. And so I'm always like, how do I structure my life? to be like an infinite game like and it seems to be just like creating more hobbies and like connecting with more people yeah yeah I don't know, I, just, I, like it widens your scope it widens your life up a lot more i'm gonna regret bringing this idea up because i don't i'm still trying to figure out exactly what the concept is and like uh what it's all about but mm-hmm. there's this idea called the glass bead game and i think that's Whatever is hidden within that concept of the glass bead game, that is how you would play an infinite game. Um, it's something about how people just go back and forth, basically. Like, um, 
like you can do whatever you want in the glass bead game. So if I just say the word cup, then you would say the first thing that comes to mind or like the, the very first thing you think of, you just do that. Like you could say something or you could draw something or you could write something down or like, you know, whatever comes to your mind. As soon as I say the first word that comes out of my mouth, you do that. And then I take that idea and then I do the first thing that comes to my mind. And then we go back and forth forever. And then you just, and then eventually at some point you would like, you know, go look at all the stuff that you guys created and be like, what is here and what can we do with this? And that's the glass bead game. It's like a way to come up with, it's just an idea generating like uh, technology, I guess you would call it. But I'm not super well versed on the idea of the glass bead game yet, but uh, it's something really interesting that I just started looking into. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is kind of like form coming out of chaos. Yeah. Yeah. With, it's like, be, a, and I mean like, oh yeah. Oh, and then I was just going to say like that, um, I mean, that's kind of the idea of like how the universe was formed. If you like, if like, if you def, you're like completely atheist and don't believe in God or something, you'd be like, yeah, the universe just occurred out of chaos. Yeah. Like, randomly, like a bead game or something yeah, like yeah. that, which is interesting. I mean, I, I don't know the answer, but it's, uh, yeah, another one of those just, I don't know. I'm glad that you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's tight. I, I guess I was, um, how, how did your, um, you know, like your practice change once your audience started growing and like more people started sending you stuff like has it grown in a good way or is it grown in a way where it's like this is overbearing um there was definitely one point where i was so stressed out and so overwhelmed by it that i was contemplating just leaving the internet mm -hmm. but um it's definitely a position that I should be super grateful for and super proud of for manifesting or, or creating it or whatever. And also, like I said, I'm grateful because I think it's a blessing as well. Like not everyone achieves something, even if they practice every manifestation method in the book. Um, I still think it's possible, but you know, sometimes your thing just doesn't happen the way you expect it and blah, blah. Anyways, it's just, I had to come to terms with I don't know, I just had to figure out a way to have a healthy relationship with it and not um, feed too much into the negativity. Uh, there's not a ton, but just like one rude comment could ruin my day at one point. I was like, I fucking hate this. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, I'm not saying I'm fully self-realized or anything, but I think a person that is, or a person that truly accepts themselves and loves themselves, they have healthy boundaries and those healthy boundaries include not looking at every message or every comment or every like that they get you know they just they realize that it's a waste of energy so i've kind of had to stop just like reading everything and realizing it's okay not to get back to people even if they're saying something nice it's like i i just can't devote all my time to that i mean if i did that i wouldn't have any time to create new stuff for them to comment on <laughs> for sure yeah that's that's cool man um I wonder, I've always, uh, you know, it's funny, I don't know, this is kind of random, but I always see Duncan Trussell in, like, on your comments or stuff. I'm like, when are you going to be on the Duncan Trussell podcast? That would be, oh, be yeah. would, that, if it, would, that be, um, would that be something you'd be interested in? Too? Oh, like, I want, 100%. Yeah, I definitely yeah. want to go on. Actually, he, we talk on the phone sometimes and he called me the other day and just, he was like, hey man, what are you uh, studying? And we just talked all about like, uh, like the UFO stuff and uh, my book and stuff like that. Um, and then at That's the tight. at the end of the phone call, though, he said, "Hey, man, you have an open invite to my podcast anytime." And I was like, "All right, cool. Let's figure it out." And I, you know, I told him I was pretty booked for the rest of like this month and probably like a week into April. But after that, I'm gonna try and talk to him again about getting on because I would I would love to have like a 
a real long conversation with him. Yeah, yeah, I think he could do it right. That'd be sick. That's awesome, man. Thank you, man. Cool. Um, where was I gonna go next? <laughs> All right, let's um see. Oh yeah, dude, Stargates. You've been to the. You've been to near my hometown. I grew up in Allen Park, but Detroit, the Detroit Heart Plaza situation. Uh, there's like a there's like a website that talks about that being a stargate, uh, and you said you've been there. Oh, I was the, wondering the giant transcendence thing. Um, the there, like yeah, the, well, there's that giant portal like sculpture. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's I, called transcendence. Word. There's that, and then there's all this like you know, um, Detroit was basically built by masons, mm-hmm. um, and it's got all sorts of cool architectural overlays and actually may correlate with the pyramids at Giza and stuff like that. Um, there's this website called Stargate uh, Detroit that kind of lays it all out. Wow, I didn't even know that. Um, it's pretty sick, and it's yeah. like, uh, so yeah, I don't know. You were, the, you were at Heart Plaza. Also, movement happens at Heart Plaza. The, um, what do you, you mean know by that? Movement? No. Um, mo- movement is a, is a giant techno festival that um, Detroit's kind of like the capital of techno. Okay. It was it was invented in Detroit, and um, there's this giant music festival, and in, in like it usually comes around spring time, and in Detroit, and it's uh it's like a it happens in Heart Plaza, and like the techno beat like pulses like a heart through Heart oh. Plaza, and I'm always like, dude, is this like a giant is this like a giant like ritual of love or something right. that was created created to take place at this Stargate? I don't know. Yeah. There's like an interesting little thread there. Well, I think, I think it, it could have not even been done on purpose. I think just things like that are naturally attracted to those types of places. You know what I mean? Like Word, yeah. Like that's just how things naturally happen there. It's like, of course, people are going to gather there because there's strange energy there. Sure. Word. Yeah, it makes sense, too. Um, I, something that I wonder about is um, in the in like the conspiracy world I guess I don't know what to call it but like people write about um, they always use the words like elites or like the powerful or like stuff like that and I'm like yeah. do you think that gives that those people too much credit yeah honestly I so I love I, I like I was gonna say I honestly do think that gives them too much credit too much power um, something I came to the like it was just a thought I don't know if this is actually true but something I was thinking about the other day I was like you know by calling a certain group the elite, that's almost like a psyop or a loose harvest in itself. It's like we are we are playing right into the divide and conquer game. As much as the conspiracy theorists love to say, like, hey, they're trying to divide us and blah blah, we're dividing ourselves from them by giving them that powerful title. And if we're all one, that means that we are even one with the elite. And it sound, it's really hard to do and it sounds really backwards and messed up, but like, I think we should even love them. You know, like, no, yeah. forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Like, and, and like Robert Anton Wilson said, he's like, he was pretty much laughing at the elite and saying like, these people are really stupid. Like, we're smarter than them. And, yeah. and if we aren't smarter than them, then they're forcing us to get smarter. That, you know, problems force the creative to get more creative and the intelligent to get more intelligent. And that's their purpose. It's a, they're like an evolutionary function. So the elite aren't mm-hmm. a bad thing in my opinion. I mean, I'd like to get rid of them eventually, but until that point, it's, they're, here, they're here to serve us in a way. No, I, I love that reframing of it, to be honest. Um, I, I think that a challenge that a lot of people have 
like when they think about politics and stuff is that they just really want to hate each other yeah and you know like we need to move past that as a species because yeah i was i've been reading about world war ii <laughs> or listening to dan carlin podcast mainly and like there was just like stalin and hitler like hated each other oh they didn't <laughs> hate each other at first but then they really just hate each other and then they just like put millions of people on a giant meat grinder to Jesus. just sort of like to like do that yeah <laughs> it's like the, the eastern front uh, in world war ii is insane mm-hmm. and I don't think it's talked en- about enough in the west um but that sort of makes me think too like okay so you, you you're inundated with i don't know i was i i like re- resent the word conspiracy theories i like we need to find a new phrase for it I don't, maybe well, not today. i mean that's yeah probably not today but yeah. i that's why i choose to call myself a philosopher i mean i went to school for three years for philosophy but um yeah i mean it's not they're they're not conspiracy theories i mean some of them are some of them are true though and Mm -hmm. conspiracy like ever this is pretty much common knowledge at this point but conspiracy was a word invented to discredit the people that said the jfk shooting wasn't done by a lone gunman you know they're trying to discredit those people and say they're crazy oh they're conspiracy theorists they're tinfoil hat wearer uh wearers and um Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you don't believe in conspiracies, I mean, to say you don't believe in a conspiracy just doesn't make sense because conspiracy just means two or more people coming together to make a plan in secret. You don't think that mm-hmm. happens? You don't think business people do that every single day? You don't think bankers yeah. do You don't think you and your friends do that? I mean... <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at. I was like, do you ever feel like... Well, I mean, most of what you write about, I can never find anything that you write about that I'm like, oh, this isn't true. Like everything is like, whenever I Google stuff, I'm like, wow, that's actually exists. And it's like he says, it's pretty, <laughs> insane, pretty insane, which is like not the case with people who write about these subjects usually. Um, but then do you like, there are like, there are, you know, there are the issues of like giant corporations, you know, kind of fucking us all over and I don't know, other things like, do you ever like have in your heart of hearts like, oh man, I'm focusing on this stuff when, when it, when I should focus on like international politics? I don't even know why I'm asking this question other than to be like, do you see, do you even like, do you actually see the whole thing as like the same thing? It's not like that, like international, I don't know, it's sort of like real world, for lack of a better term, political things happening, like, or just like you, cultural you, things happening. Are you asking if like I'm. Do, do I ever think that I'm focusing on too much fantasy rather than like pragmatic steps to take towards fixing the world? Something, yeah. like, something like that. Um, honestly, I don't know, maybe sometimes, but to be honest, I think that focusing on politics is like trying to reach into the mirror and change your reflection. Like, I think that we have to focus on the metaphysical aspect because that's the root cause of all this. Like, you can't, you can't just like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I think I, I think the best way I can do it is like how I just said is like trying to mess with the illusion is not going to do anything. You know, you have to realize mm-hmm. it's an illusion first and then you can make all sorts of changes, you know? And yeah. it comes down to the individual ultimately. Like I'm not going to become JFK or something and try and like get rid of the federal reserve. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the only thing I can do is change myself and make my immediate surroundings a little bit better you know 100 feet in front of me 100 feet behind me make those things the best i can and eventually if you're lucky you know that that reach will become even more people you know like the twitter and so i what i try and do with the twitter is just make people think i'm not going to try and tell them what to think just think differently 
don't think like how the TV is telling you. And now it seems like a lot of people are are waking up and you know they're disgusted with politics. They're disgusted with the state of the world. And you know that's great. That means they're waking up. But if they're already in that state, I don't need to keep talking about it. It's just beating a dead horse. The only thing I can do is, you know, continue to point at the the stuff that no one's talking about yet, like the serious connection or what are what are these interdimensional beings? Are there is is it Project Bluebeam? Is it you know are they demons? I think that stuff's going to be way more relevant, way more important later on in the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, especially as we go, I mean, more, more and more technological. Something that stri- strikes me too is like, like, I'm thinking about AI right now. It's yeah. like that, like we are since the pandemic started, we've been just feeding so much more data. Like all business is happening over Zoom. All yeah. like cultural things. Like people are like, you know, having like friendship. Like I don't know, we're doing this. Maybe if it wasn't a pandemic, I would drive down to. Uh, Toledo and we do this not on zoom but we're like feeding so much information into this like just kind of faceless corporation and like where's this data going like are we training an AI like right now to to um I mean they've 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 straight up told us that that's what they're doing that uh, Purdue University has this thing called the sentient world simulation where they're trying to create a perfect mirror model of the universe of the world and um Basically, all of your all of your data from your maps and you know your your frequent and locations, your conversations, your buying habits, your search habits online, all of those, all of that data is not being used by the FBI to track you. That's just impossible. There's not one FBI agent for every single person in the United States. They can't keep track of that. But an AI can keep track of a digital avatar version of you that bases its decisions around your decisions do you get what i'm saying it's it's building yeah it's building basically it's mapping people's brains it's seeing right. and people are mostly kind of predetermined creatures i mean we have habits and once the ai learns your habits it can pretty much predict whatever you're going to do um, yeah yeah but i mean they kind of claim that they're doing that for this to like do like better stock trading or something like that yeah yeah right? so, I mean, yeah, so. so purdue university says that they want to use the sentient world simulation for um, for business and for like war games, essentially, like what would happen if uh, what would happen if these people invaded these people, or what would happen if you know a civil war broke out, or what would happen if there was, you know, just any like any type of situation you could think of. They're trying to test it and see how people would react, and so they're studying they're studying people's behavior and creating avatars of people. Dude, <laughs> who knows what? I mean, I don't know what. To what end is always what I ask. Is like, what? I guess like you know, I'm always I'm someone who doesn't really understand power because like, I I don't know why someone would want total control of something, and I guess I wonder since you think you seem to think about power a lot, do you have like an answer, uh, even a personal one? I think honestly. I mean, maybe these two answers are one and the same, but either these people are psychopaths and that's how they got to the position they're in in the first place, or maybe they're, you know, they're barely human at this point. Um, and like I said, that's kind of like the same answer. Uh, um, but like I said, these, these people in power serve an evolutionary purpose. Like, I really do believe that they're there to, as a catalyst for uh, for us to, spiritually progress and 
psychologically progress. Yeah, I like I I liked when you said that today. I think that 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 triggered something for me. <laughs> like a catalyst. I'm always thinking about catalysts. Mm-hmm. That's tight. Well, man, I think um, kind of coming to the end. I was wondering, are there other things on your mind? Are is as Duncan Trussell would ask you, are there other things you're researching right now that you're super <laughs> excited about? Um, nothing I can talk about too much, but I will just say that um, I'm excited for. The Institute for Folly, I'm going to continue to do that. And the next thread that I'll be doing very soon is going to be on the Secret Space program. Tight. Wow, that'll be sick. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> cool, man. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the end button here of this recording. Thanks for, so, thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah, one more question. I want to make a drawing for this. I have one drawing that's kind of a sampling of a Count Michael Maillard print of, like, this dude with, like, He's, he's kind of like standing in the center with his arms up. But I was wondering, is there, a, is, there a, is there a way I could draw you that would be tight? Yeah, you could draw me. Would you no, dr- I mean, like what, like what scenario? I mean, like where would I, I'll, I'll like put it together. But like, if you could imagine yourself in a scene, hmm. what, what, what would you be doing? That's a, that's a great question. Like, um... Cause I've been wanting someone to draw something for me because I have all these fucking crazy scenarios in my head that I want put on paper, but I'm not patient enough to sit there and draw them. But um, let me think for a second. No problem. Um, so what all, what all did we talk about? Would you, would you um, be able, would you be able to draw like me standing in front of the Chapel Perilous, like you could draw whatever kind of castle you want, and like above it, there's like a cloudy vortex where like the Cthulhu tentacles are coming out. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, yeah, fucking Cthulhu. I can't we didn't talk about that. that <laughs> the tentacles. All right, science, science alert, or some website like that posted a freaking image of a squid atop the North Pole. <laughs> what? Like, uh, you posted it too. I saw, like, I was like, that image where they were talking about the um, space like, storm. So, uh, yeah, the space storm. Look at that image again. It's a giant squid, dude. It's a giant. It's a giant uh, octopus. It's oh, a kraken. Fuck. On, on top. On top of the uh, no, like northern hemisphere. And I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there will be a giant kraken over a castle with uh, with you standing there. Hell sure. yeah. I can't right, wait. Cool. I'm, now I'm really gonna hit end recording. All right. <laughs>